how can I have spiritual integrity with my sex life, you know? And like, that doesn't have to look like I'm a fucking Puritan. So that's why, I mean, I'm curious to ask other people about what their experience is with it, you know? What does their, what does others healing look like? Hey everybody, this is Rose. And this is Louisa. And you're listening to Sober Sex. I made a promise to myself to stop not listening. What it looks like now is that I make conscious choices around my sexuality. It started with putting down the substances, really, and starting to listen. And the listening to my body has changed. Hi, friends. Uh, Chris was a truly fantastic guest, but we had some audio issues at the beginning of the interview, so we made the decision to edit that part out and pick up from the point in the conversation when Chris was telling us how he arrived in Lisbon, where he is now based. Apologies if the first few minutes are a little confusing. We encourage you to ride it out with us because it does end up being a really wonderful conversation with a lovely human being. We hope you enjoy it as much as we did. Okay. After some technical difficulties, we have once again joined Chris Miller to talk about <laughs> tax schemes in Portugal. Well, no, that's not the only reason why we're having a conversation. <laughs> so how did that like evolve and then now you're working and developing this new startup covered health? Well, not developing, it's like in full swing, right? It's in full swing now, yeah. We've been working on it for, for the last couple of years. And, uh, you know, how it evolved is that when, when, when Diana and Grayson and myself, when we first relocated here to Portugal, uh, we realized that we didn't have a pediatrician. And, you know, and Grayson wasn't, I mean, you know, he had maybe a little bit of cold at that time. He was like three years old. And uh, we were trying to find a, a, a suitable doctor without going to the emergency room. And we realized that, that it was close to impossible. There was it, navigating through the system, finding, you know, uh, uh, a doctor through the email, uh, through, sorry, through website, uh, web browsers, it just wasn't, imp- it was impossible. So, uh, you know, we discussed it and came up with the idea, hey, you know, why, why not put, you know, find a platform, a creative platform that we can put all of these health and well-being uh entities into one so someone like myself or like us uh relocating to portugal uh would be able to navigate a lot faster and uh and we've done that we've worked over the last two years and it's it's definitely uh, uh getting some momentum and we were also uh, published in some major publications one particular uh that just came out in hard print and on uh, uh web version a couple of weeks ago, awesome. and uh, yeah, so it's so so it's it's actually turning out to be uh, quite nice. I, and I, I guess to answer your question, I, I always, you know, my thing was always about helping someone, as much as I didn't mm. want. To. <laughs> <Do> you, know? <laughs> yeah. you know, growing up in my neighborhood, I was the kid that would run to the store for everyone, walk everyone's dog. And, uh, and, you know, my friends or family would say, you know, that person is taking advantage of you. But the, the thing is, you, you know, I really enjoyed doing it because it was, it made me feel good. But at some point I stopped because I thought that everyone was right. I was being taken advantage of. And, uh, you know, now at, at this point in my life, it's, 
you can't, it's an expression that one uses. You can't rape the willing. And I'm willing to, <laughs> you know, to do this because I like doing it. So this, this, mm. this is my new me. This is my new thing, you know. That's beautiful, Chris. And like also, oh my God, like 50% of mine and Louise's conversations around like, who's your, who's your doctor? Where can I go for this? Like who's, you know, and, and when you're going with like hypersensitive medical things or, or in, within mental health and something, it's, I think it can be really important that somebody speaks the same language. So I know that like covered health, you do a lot of like English speaking practitioners as well, right? You're Absolutely. The, uh, we have, uh, we've implemented a function, uh, a functionality that will allow you to, uh, like, uh, find a doctor that speaks your language. So the, the website and the application is in three languages. It's in Portuguese, French, and English. Uh, nice. So, yeah, because as you said, you know, dealing with, you know, health-related issues is, uh, it's really important. Two things I don't want to, uh, I, I can't curse, I assume. But, um, oh, you can fucking oh, yeah. curse all you day need, long. You have to. <laughs> Please do. Okay. Well, crazy. Two, two things I don't want to fuck with, and that's my health and my money. <laughs> so you have to speak, you know, when you, when these two things, my health and my money, you need to speak to me in English. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, yeah, and I think it's also super, it's it's good to be specific, you know? I mean, <laughs> in both in, both instances. Yeah. I've been diagnosed with some really interesting things just based on uh, miscommunication in a different language. FYI, <laughs> I cannot yeah. tell you the troubles I've gone into in my first year in Paris being like broke, just out of rehab, needing a doctor. Then suddenly I'm on the med for something because like they misunderstood what I said, but I was like, well, I should be grateful I'm getting help. And like, the conversation went so bad, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that, that could happen, <laughs> for sure. Yes. <laughs> but, I mean, I guess also kind of speaking of, um, what is this, like, Portuguese, <laughs> like, the the, um, the center of the Venn diagram in which you're existing, um, being there as a sober person and working in the health sector, um, it's... Portugal is known for a really groundbreaking attitude in terms of uh, de drug decriminalization and addiction treatment. Um, so what's that been affecting your work or like, or your ideas, I guess, about um, how society can support recovery? Oh, well, how society can support recovery. I mean, it's, as you said, it was a, uh, it's been a groundbreaking uh, uh thing here in Portugal that stepped back from, I think it was 2001. And the reason was because uh, the number of drug-related deaths had soared and the number of HIV and AIDS, uh, actually it was actually tuberculosis, tuberculosis, uh, you know, uh, hepatitis B, hepatitis C, and these were all growing because of, you know, obvious reasons and like uh, sharing, sharing needles and, uh, and other things of that nature. So that's when Portugal sort of implemented this uh, decriminalization. It played a, a very, very important uh, part in, you know, in society. Uh, now I can say as being a sober person here, I mean, they decriminalized, decriminalized uh, uh, drugs for personal use, which actually is quite funny because you don't sense drug use that much here as you do in other places. And uh, 
Yeah, which don't get me wrong. I mean, right from my office, there's there's some guys that are selling weed or oregano. I don't know what the fuck they're selling. But, <laughs> you know, but, I just love know, herbs. You know what I'm saying? But it's obvious. <laughs> it's obvious that you know that they're selling things, and uh, and uh, so you know it's still it's still happening. You know, and you walk down certain streets, and you may hear you know coke, weed, you know whatever, and stuff like that. But it, it it's. It's, it doesn't, I don't, for some reason, it just doesn't, I don't know if I'm so far removed from it now that, uh, you know, I'm just kind of ignoring it. You know, I don't have, my stomach doesn't flip like when I used to go cop something. It's like I knew, I could feel like it was something around me to get high. Exactly, you know, weed is over here, you know. But uh, now it's, uh, yeah, it's, it, it, it's, it's it's definitely played a, a great part of uh, what's happening here in Portugal now. Portuguese society. Wow. And also raising a kid like amongst a social system like that must feel kind of relieving in a way, no? It does. It does. But I have to tell you, dude. I mean, don't you know, I really have to tell you. I mean, I have I've been married, like I said before, and I've had three kids from uh between the ages of 19 and 23. And, uh, I, you know, I wasn't sober then. So there wasn't really like that kind of, I mean, I loved my kids. I did a lot of things for them. I tried to, but there was still a bit of a, a disconnect because of course, you know, drugs played a, a, a huge part of my, uh, you know, my life back then, but raising a kid here now and, uh, and I don't know if this is along the lines what you were actually, uh, leading, but, uh, it's just, I don't know. It's just an amazing experience. And so, uh, mm. yeah. So to be able to raise uh, Grayson in such an environment where I don't feel like it's, you know, it's like danger or there's a man with a van around the corner or some shit like that is it's it's a big relief. That's awesome. I mean, it also kind of speaks, I guess, to we talk a lot about shame on sober sex, and it sounds like. When, when shame is kind of taken out of the conversation around addiction as a mental illness, like, in, especially in terms of legislature or, or like, I guess, repercussions, it actually makes things much safer because there's less kind of darkness and shrouding, like weird, illegal bullshit uh, surrounding use. Mm-hmm. So that's exciting. <laughs> it, is. it is. It's exciting. Hmm. So, Chris, as this is Sober Sex, we're going to gently pivot the conversation and ask about the messages that we received (laughs) early in life (laughs) about sex and sexuality. So, can you tell us about your early ideas surrounding this stuff? Early ideas around sexuality and sex in general? Yeah, or like the early messages that you got. Ooh, okay. Early messages. Well... And I just want to preface this by saying, like, the reason we wanted to have you as a guest is because, like, I experience you as such a man of integrity. I don't know if that's because you were, like, (laughs) you knew my husband quite well back in the day. But, like, you seem to such a, like, honest and open and, like, sober well man. And, um, yeah, I was really curious to see, like to have you as a guest to, to explore these conversations, this, these topics with you. 
Oh, well, thank you, Rose. I, but uh, thanks for saying that. I appreciate it. I kind of feel like if you were here right now, you'd be batting those beautiful eyes at me to. I receive you virtually. So, oh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, sex is, well, it was never something that was really discussed in my house as growing up. You know, I mean, I remember finding like, uh, you know, back then, like, uh, Playboy books and, you know, and like feeling like I wanted to get off on that shit then. But uh, in terms of, uh, you know, I just kind of uh, evolved around sex sort of on my own. Unfortunately, a few times as a kid, I was sexually molested, you know, and, uh, you know, once was by a a family member and, uh, you know, not my parents or anything, but, uh, you know, a cousin of my uh, uh, stepfathers and uh, and uh, also you know like a next door neighbor and shit like that. So you know, I so sex to me was always kind of I don't know, man. It was it was a fucked up thing for me. I just didn't mm. I just didn't get it. So I, I thought that I needed to use sex to get what I wanted, and mm. uh, and you know, and it and it worked for me for uh, for a lot of years, a lot of fucking years. It worked for me. And uh, so I didn't really discover anything about uh, sex really until I was uh, an adult. Now, that doesn't mean I wasn't having sex, but uh, the, the, the connection with intimacy and, uh, and sex, there was just no, there was no connection there. Yeah, it sounds like the, the early messages were maybe transactional or like n- not n- uninvited, I guess. Yeah. Is that accurate? De- accurate, yeah, correct. I mean, de- definitely un- uninvited. Uh, you know, I remember my uh, first, first orgasm, and it was uh, and it was a guy because, uh, you know, he was, I don't know, can I be explicit? Yeah, yes, totally. that's what this podcast is all about. <laughs> I mean, we just want to kind of, like, diffuse taboo around, like, what, like, sex with intentional spiritual integrity might look like and what often what it takes us to get there, you know? So like anything that you have to, to share here, like a, we will, you'll hear the episode and and we can happily edit anything that you want us to cut out after the fact. If you have kind of like, uh, if you're like, Oh man, I went too deep, but, um, but yeah, like anything that you want to talk about, this is the space for it. And it's, we want to encourage you to, you know, hopefully feel safe and, and, uh, to hold your vulnerability with care. Okay. No, I, I, you know, I appreciate that. I do. I, I, I don't believe that I'm going to say I've gone too deep because I've, I've done a lot of work around this stuff for quite some time. Fuck and, yeah. You know, <laughs> in a lot of different ways. So what happened to me before doesn't define who I am today. And, uh, but, uh, you know, having an orgasm for the first time i had no fucking idea what that was this guy was just like jerking me off and shit and i was like what the fuck is he doing and uh and then you know when i like came and shit i was like i felt this something was just leaving my body that was just wrong you know and the thing about it is that uh i was i was so in the you know in the grips of what i thought that Okay, if this guy is is, is is molesting me, which I didn't know that that was happening then, 
I thought, you know, it was, of course, my fault. If this guy is doing this to me, then he's going to take care of me and he's going to love me for the person who I am uh, more than anyone else. Total fucking opposite. He was a piece of shit to me because he needed to not be known what he was actually doing to me. So being nice to me may even sort of like uh, give an idea that, yeah, that something is not right there. So he treated me like shit until he, uh, he decided to uh, come in the room at night and, uh, you know, and, uh, and fondle me. And, uh, and don't get me wrong. At first, I thought that that's something that I wanted to do. But I realized that uh, I was underage and he was older and, uh, and, and, you know, and I just didn't like it. I didn't like the way it felt. Yeah. Mm. And I couldn't yeah. you know, tell anyone. Yeah. Especially with the kind of cognitive, cog- uh, cognitive disconnect of like sharing a super intimate space. And then it sounds like, you said treating like shit kind of during the day. That sounds like really a challenging first experience to kind of like reckon with. Yeah, it, it that actually was. And, it, and as a matter of fact, it, it kind of uh, uh, molded me into believing that uh, love had to hurt, you know? Mm. Mm. Gosh, it's so, I'm, thank you so much for sharing so openly about this. Cause I think I'm just like, we this podcast was actually born out of a, a women's um, sex intimacy um, group that we've been doing on Friday afternoons that just precedes us recording this podcast. <laughs> but I'm like, are men having these conversations with other men? Because like, this isn't like gender specific, you know, this is happening to men, women alike and across, you know, the trans community as well. And I'm just, I, I just feel really like, you know, the story that unfolds from this is that often leads into addiction because like we end up finding medicine, which helps with the pain. Right. And so can you tell me, are men having these conversations with each other in these kind of open forms or? Mm, no, I, I, not that I know of, to be honest. I mean, you know, you know, even even in therapy, these are things that I haven't really touched upon. You know, not it wasn't until I discovered like meditation and and uh, yeah, a part of therapy, but not actually going into the, the the like the grimy details and shit of what happened to me, but just uh, overall on how it made me feel and what I was feeling during that time, I actually made me realize that. Uh, uh, that you know, I can I I can get through this without actually focusing on what actually transpired uh, mm. uh, against what I, regardless on how I felt at that time, because you know, uh, no men like you said, men generally, yeah, we generally don't sit around and talk about that because the reality of it is that I don't want to be gross, but but men's dicks get hard no matter who touches them, right? And, uh, and when I got, I was aroused, then I was like, okay, something is wrong with me. Right. Yeah. Again, the kind of cultural shame embedded in, in talking about any of this stuff, you know, I mean, especially if it's been kind of traumatic, it's really deep. And I think it's actually often much harder on men because there's so much pressure to kind of present and perform as hyper-masculine. Yeah. 
Yeah, especially in, in, in the black community, it's, it's, it's extreme. I mean, all around, but in the black community, it's extremely prevalent. Like, uh, you just don't do or say certain things. And uh, as a matter of fact, in my family, you don't feel and you don't touch. We, we, we are very demonstrative at all. We completely changed over the years. But uh, back then, there was like, no, I, I love you and give me a kiss before you leave sort of thing. That's just not, that was just mm. not. How, uh, how we were raised. And so how did your story kind of unfold from there in terms of both like sexuality and or recovery or <laughs> the road to recovery? Mm, sex, sexuality. I mean, you know, I, I could say that, uh, well, my, my preference is women, but I've also had experiences with men as well. And uh, I don't know if that is, uh, uh, this was before my uh, awakening, I guess, of, uh, you know, what, what I really, uh, you know, what I really like or what I desire. And it's like, my whole thing was not really uh, connected. I always connected with a person. It didn't have to be uh, only a woman. If, 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 if there was a certain feeling that I had with, with the same sex, it, it, there was always a connection there as though I felt maybe as though I wanted to like maybe go further, but there's a possibility that I didn't. Now, I don't know if this sounds clear or not, but uh, I, I, I did go further at times and I realized, okay, maybe that wasn't for me. Uh, but if, if someone actually treated me the way I thought I wanted to be treated because I couldn't do that for myself, uh, I was okay with that person, male or, male or female. Mm. Yeah, I super identify with that. It's been been such a journey for me as well with like, am I bisexual or do I just fall in love with a person and and not sort of knowing whether to label that or not and like being in a time where you feel like people get very specific about that and that there is space to do that like what a privilege in a way but also like I definitely fell in love with my husband because he embodies like a lot of feminine energy as well which is what I find really attractive you know mm-hmm. yeah, yeah I I I totally I get that because my wife now has I've always been attracted to very strong women uh, and, uh, <laughs> so that's that male, sort of male trait that you know that uh, that you know that I fall in that I fall for at the beginning. Would you describe yourself as bi or pansexual now, or is it just kind of like an open open space that you prefer not to label? Oh, you kids these days! I don't even know what the fuck. Is. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Uh, no, you know, I kind of really describe myself as just a sexual being. And uh, so uh, I, I can't really say, I def, I know I'm not gay. And if I was, I wouldn't have a problem with it. Well, my wife might. But, uh, <laughs> you know, but it's, uh, if I had to choose one, I would probably say, I guess, bisexual or, uh, yeah, you know, if I had to choose one. But I just consider myself as just a it's a sexual being and it's the, mm. it's the connection that makes the, the difference to me 
That's beautiful. Yeah. That's so beautiful. So something we talk a lot about here on Sober Sex is the subject of shame. And like I said before, like you've got such a beautiful energy, Chris, and I experience you a person as a person that channels and projects nothing but divine, wholehearted warmth, calm, loving and encouragement to those around you. Can you tell us how you worked on cultivating that as a man? And as I've heard you share, you weren't always this open hearted, right? No, no, I wasn't. I was, I was, a, I was a very closed child and a very closed adult, and uh, more very reserved. Uh, and uh, as I said, you know, I wasn't very demonstrative. Although I wanted to be that loving, you know, person, I just it was just not my uh, my my upbringing. And just to go back uh, just a, a bit, you know, my my parents were both from the south. So they were very, uh, uh, I guess, Christian or what, and very, very black conservative in the South. And, uh, you know, my mother was one of the first uh, African-Americans to uh, to attend the American University of uh, Alabama. I mean, the Alabama University of Alabama. Wow. And uh, so she... Uh, from 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 there, from my background, everyone has always been sort of strict. And uh, as she lost her mother when she was six months old, I think that she could she didn't have that. Uh, uh, she she couldn't teach what she wasn't actually taught. Right. Uh, so the uh, the thing with that is that uh, God, I've gotten off track, so now I've totally lost track of the question. No worries. No, we're just talking about like, um, you know, how, you know, you were, you say expressing that there was a point where you weren't this open hearted person. So like just asking about how that evolved, how you've sort of transformed into this beautiful soul. Not that being a closed person is a bad thing because often we're closed because we're trying to protect ourselves or whatever, but like, like just curious to hear about your evolution and your recovery journey on that. Oh, well, thanks. Well, you know, I, I, I believe it's, it's, I remember waking up in the morning, it's just feeling really, really good about myself, but then uh, digging up a possible resentment that I may have had, like looking, haven't had any, but I said, am I, do I have a resentment toward anyone? You know, because my natural state was just like at that time, let me just be that uh, person that's going to be reserved. I just, I, you know, I just got to a point actually, guys, that I said that, uh, you know, I, I want to just be true to myself, to my true essence and who I am and, and, and feel what I feel and, 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 and say what I feel instead of, uh, doing or saying what I think I should say. Uh, mm-hmm. because that way it just keeps me imprisoned into, you know, into my, into myself. And I just, it just wasn't a way that I wanted to continue to live. So, uh, you know, uh, yeah. So I rewrite sometimes text messages over and over because I come out with that same person that I think that I should be with mm. that barrier in front of me or, and then I end up with, you know, yeah, fuck, hugs. I love you too. Kisses, you know, and I'm okay with mm-hmm. it. Oh man, that's that. Do you remember like a certain specific instance or circumstance where like that you kind of hit bottom with that and you you changed behavior? Because that's such a drastic turnaround from like 
thinking of resentments to become to like harden yourself to the out to kind of yeah make yourself harder or shut down in order to be in the world as opposed to like showing up open-hearted and kind of ready to love like what a what a revolution mm. Mm. I, I have to i have to say there was it was there was a little bit of uh a little bit of that sort of uh some i guess maybe i have to say maybe 15 years in sobriety, unfortunately, maybe 20 years in sobriety, because, you know, I still kept that kind of uh, uh, reserve about me. But the pivotal moment was when I lost uh, my uh, my mom and my daughter, uh, my stepfather and my grandmother and the best friend all within the course of two years. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so it was basically it was pretty much six months uh, apart of, uh, for each. And uh, uh, that, to me, was a complete emotional shutdown. Uh, then I had to actually really do some real, like, deep, like, like soul-searching, which wasn't uh, an easy thing for me to do. And, 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 I, and I came up with... Uh, the you know the, the the loving aspect of it all and and the uh, the glass is half full. I had my mother for all of these years before she passed. I was I was able to you know to take care of my 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 daughter and uh, and be a father to her before she passed and and uh, and and my best friend Janae who who was also in the program for a while and she and she died for a horrible. Uh, debilitating uh, illness, uh, uh, a brain tumor. And, uh, you know, and my grandmother. So, you know, I, I, it's sort of like these people became a part of me and, and, and it just kind of filled me with so much uh, energy and and, uh, and, and and love that, uh, you know, I can continue, I could have continued using, I mean, li- living my life with using uh you know, anger and resentments or uh, uh, being reserved, or I can just like release this and just open up. Well, yeah, I guess it sounds like if it, if you didn't break open, it would break you, you know, <laughs> it's like you have two choices, grow or die, you know, and it sounds like you, you took the opportunity to grow courageously through a lot of loss. Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah, yeah, it was uh, definitely tough, but kind of, uh, yeah, I said it correctly. Yeah, it would have, it would have broken me eventually, and mm-hmm. uh, I wouldn't have been able to, uh, you know, to give, uh, you know, my son the kind of uh, affection or connection that he that he deserves. And how old is he now? Actually, he just turned seven a couple of days ago. Oh, Happy yeah. birthday. <laughs> Let's hope he never hears this unless he's an informed adult. <laughs> Although I don't know. If, if I heard my parents on Sober Sex, I think I would be deeply upset. <laughs> oh, God. No. But you know, I have to tell you, the thing is with me, I just, I'm just, I sometimes I have to hold back because, you know, he asked me once, he says, well, why doesn't mommy have a penis? So, uh, great question. 
like, uh, because, uh, you know, mommy has a vagina and it's that. And then I was like, uh, I was, I was ready to go even more. I was like, I'm not, I'm just going to give him what he can ask for, what he asks. And he was like, I'm open the whole book lately, you know, stuff, but, but I'm not going to hide it from him. If he asks one day, I'm just going to give it to him. Amazing. Well, I mean, even just again to kind of grow up without shame or like fear of sex and sexuality is a real like what a novel concept, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. Because I mean, we have all types of all kinds of friends around us. We have gay friends, straight friends, whatever. And you know, I I, he never asks questions, so I don't actually uh, just open up to it. But if he asks, you know. I'll, I'll, I'll talk to him about it. That's beautiful. So how does sex and sexuality inform your creative work life or vice versa? Or does it indeed? My creative work life? Creative or work life. Creative slash work life. Let's creative say. life slash work life. <laughs> oh, oh, let's see. How can I answer that? How does it... Uh, I don't know. That's... that's uh, a tough question, or maybe it's not tough. Can you rephrase it, please? How does sex and or sexuality uh, inform your creative or your work life? Oh, well. If it does. <laughs> if it does. I, I don't think it, I don't think it does, but I, I think it, well, okay. In terms of uh, being creative, that was one of, that was actually one of the things that, I didn't want to express too much creativity. You know, as I said, well, when I was growing up, I did a lot of writing and I used to do kind of art shit. And I was really, really good at, uh, <laughs> you know, at decorating. And the thing is, I did not want to accept that part of me because the stereotype, uh, if he's decorating an apartment, he's probably gay, you know, and, uh, mm-hmm. So that was kind of one of the things that kind of backed me off in it. So now being in a place that I am and not giving a fuck what anybody actually thinks and knowing who I am, uh, it allows me to become more creative and, uh, and not hold back in any, any sort of, uh, uh, creative project. I, I feel like I need to, move, you know, uh, forward in, you know, I, I'm totally fine with it. So I, I'm just really, really relaxed with that. I don't know if that really answers the question. Yeah, that's beautiful. I mean, I think for a lot of people we talk to and indeed ourselves that kind of like unlocking a connection to the erotic that feels like authentic and vital can be a real um, like portal to a new level of creative energy or inspiration or really kind of inform the work we make as artists or how we kind of, I, I know for me, at least it's, it's, been helpful in how to interact intentionally Mm -hmm. like and the more um information i have about this part of myself the the better i can kind of control where i'm putting that kind of energy you know i do not want to bring like erotic energy into like doing taxes for instance (laughs) (laughs) but like (laughs) but for me like i perform so like on stage it's a great place to put it you know but yeah, it's, it, I think that kind of embracing ourselves holistically can be 
a big part of like a, a sexual connection to ourselves and to others, you know, because like there's whole, we were talking about it earlier. I feel like we were talking about masculine and feminine Energy. energies yeah. and how we kind of bring those into our daily life, you know, and so kind of how, and in interactions. And so if I'm totally not acknowledging an entire part of who I am, of course, it's going to inform my, my creativity, my relationships, my work. Yeah. 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 That's uh, I guess that's kind of where I am as well. Just kind of let go and just be who I am and not what I think I should be or what others think I should be. Absolutely. Absolutely. God. Absolutely. So Chris, like as a parent and a husband, how do you keep yourself grounded in connection? Uh, Connection with myself. So intimate connection with self, with your son, to your wife, like you can be specific or not specific. Continue. I'll be specific. I mean, I mean, for me, when to connect with myself, I love to be with by myself. Sometimes I like to masturbate. I mean, once, you know, I was in, uh, uh, not that I'm a, like a freak masturbate in the street kind of shit, but, <laughs> you know, I remember I was in Mexico and no, it was in Palm Springs and the moon was so fucking amazing. And we had rented this house and, you know, Diana was in the room and she was actually, she was in the room watching something or reading something. And I was like, you know, I really feel like I just want to go fucking masturbate to the moon right now. And I I went right by the fucking pool. She was like, uh, don't let anybody see you. And And it was nighttime. I love the fact that she like was uh, okay with, not that I needed yeah. her to be okay with it, but the fact that she was like, do you? And uh, and I went and I masturbated to the moon. I love to be by myself and like please myself. And, I, I, you know, I just like that feeling sometimes. It doesn't have to be like on a regular basis or daily basis. Right. But, you know, just to be able to do that. And and me knowing what how I like to touch myself actually will allow me to tell my wife how I like to be touched. Yeah. Which is funny because I feel like all, like, we assume that men have this, like, innate knowledge of, like, self pleasure because it's kind of weirdly, like, in the media in a, in a bizarre way, like, boys masturbating, like, teenage boys being aggressive masturbators is, like, something that is kind of laughed about, whereas, like, girls don't really get the same messaging around it. But I feel like what you're talking about is, like, if you were, a female, people would be like, oh, you're just a witch. Like, <laughs> burn some sage, light a candle, masturbate to the moon. It's Do great. You, honey, self-care. <laughs> but men don't have the same freedom of being like, I'm going to go fucking masturbate to the moon. <laughs> this is awesome. I love you doing you. <laughs> it's beautiful. I love that you tell your wife, too, and, like, have that connection. You give each other space. Oh. Yeah. It makes me want to cry. It's so beautiful. Uh, I mean, it, I, this, I, it's, it took some time, believe me. It, it really took some time, you know, because I was called a fucking pig a few times. But, uh, you know. In this marriage or other marriages? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, in this one. It's like I said, I'm going to masturbate. She's like, are you pig? You know, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I mean, it's interesting, though, because I do think that there is like, 
there can be the misunderstanding that when people choose to masturbate, that it's like selfish somehow, but often like it just don't want to bother having sex and maybe that's fine. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that's it. That's it. You don't want to bother having sex or sometimes, you know, you just want to be alone or you don't want to cuddle, like, you know, after. <laughs> yeah. Now I don't have to cuddle with myself. I can do it mentally. I don't have to like, <laughs> I can check out right away. And, uh, yeah. So, I mean, it's that, but you know, and then, you know, Diana and I, we have a, we have a healthy sex life and it's been like 15 years, but wow. you know, amazing. That's so amazing. Inspiring. tell us how, 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 <laughs> well, well, we do, we do a lot of work though, too. We do a lot of work. I mean, uh, I know, like, we've read one of these, a couple of books, and uh, one of them was, like, The Five Languages of Love. So I figured out what her language of love is. What's and your love language? Her love language is, her love language is service and and gifts. So, you know, mine is, uh, is, is affection and, uh, and quality time. Yeah. Aww. Like that's beautiful. That. What's yours, Louisa? I think mine is um, like intimate touch, and it does that doesn't mean sex. It just like <laughs> if you rub my feet, I'm really, really like I'm, I'm yours forever. But um, and also, I my my like giving language is service for sure and gifts. I like I like giving service and gifts and receiving intimate touch and kind words, <laughs> words of affirmation. Aww. What's yours? I've not read the bloody book. Oh, I have it upstairs. We'll read okay, it after. Okay, this fucking book. This book sounds oh, tremendous. Oh, you have to read it. You have to read it. You have to get Mikey to read it too. Yeah, but he's a bugger. Like, I'll, I'll trap him in a room and make him listen to Esther Perel with me. And the trapping doesn't help cultivate open-mindedness. FYI. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I have to learn more skills for inviting people to read books with me. Not like, you're listening to this book. We're listening to this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But that's really good news. Cause I think part of the thing that we're curious about talking or learning about here is kind of how to cultivate long-term desire in relationship, because, you know, we get a lot of information about like dating and how to like seem sexy for the first like minute <laughs> of a relationship. And then not so much about kind of sustained curiosity and desire and evolving, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, for me, I've done a lot of uh, reading about uh, uh, women and, you know, how to, uh, you know, there's definitely no book that could help explain how to make a woman happy. That's just not going to happen. No offense, guys. But, uh, (laughs) you know, but, uh, you know, like women have this, uh, uh, they have a certain need and, uh, and I, you know, not all the time, but most of the time I try and, uh, make sure that, that she's comfortable and she feels secure and, uh, uh, and, you know, I could, uh, you know, treat, basically treat her like the queen that she is. And, uh, oh, Chris, <laughs> I know Rose and I are just making googly eyes at the screen now. Yeah, we're like, you're like a dream, <laughs> you're the best, you're a dream man. <laughs> oh, I'm not 100% with, the, I mean, you know, knowing that, but you know, and, and also learning a, 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 a woman's body is, 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 is very, it, it's very important, uh, to help 
you know, please her uh, sexually, and you know, and 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 watching her reactions and seeing if she if she, if she likes that, if I'm going in the right direction, and not just going and saying, "Let me just you know finish." You know, I always make sure that my wife has an orgasm before I do. No, it's true. I really do. I, 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 I do. And women uh, up into, uh, I think up to a, a, a certain time in their lives, whether they want to have children or not, their body tells them that it's time to procreate. So at least once a month, a woman starts to, uh, dress just a little bit nicer, uh, or she maybe put on a little bit more makeup. She becomes a little bit more flirty, and uh, or flirtier. I don't remember the exact what's the, the exact term, but uh, the, uh, that is the time when her body wants to reproduce, whether she wants to reproduce or not. And that's what it's yeah, it's very much happening. I'm very much in this place at the moment. Yeah, yeah, because women hit that sexual peak. So when I know that. When Diana hits that sexual peak, then I try and be, uh, you know, extra uh, service-oriented toward her and uh, a little bit more romantic and, uh, you know, maybe bring her some flowers or whatever. And, uh, you know, and then I know that uh, she's not just feeling like she's being, uh, you know, just a, a product of what I need to do in order to, you know, to get my shit off, you know what I'm saying? Oh, that's beautiful. It's interesting. I think, I don't know, it might have been your relationship, Rose. <laughs> I think it was Mikey was saying that he installed a period tracker on his phone. Oh my God. My husband. <laughs> I suggested something. It's incredible. <laughs> he is like so loving and gracious and calm and warm. So, like, if I have PMS, or like he knows and he's like, Hey, what can I, and I'm like, why are you so fucking nice? This is like, I had to, it actually, you know what it was hard for me? It was initially, no, initially I felt really aggressive around it. Cause no one had ever been so fucking nice to me. And I was like, what's wrong? <laughs> what are you trying to fucking like steal? What did you do? Like what the fuck is going on? <laughs> and it just turns out he's a really decent dude and like yeah, still like eight player. years in. Learn he's from the best, Chris. He learned from you, man. He was a great guy before. He's a really amazing guy. You know, and uh, yeah, even with Diana, I tell her when her period's about to come, I was like, you're PMSing now. And she's like, <laughs> oh my God, that's so lovely. <laughs> no, and not in a mean way. I tell her, I say, oh, I think you're about to have your period. And she's oh. like, well, when was my last period? And I'm like breaking it down to her and shit. She's like, hey. <laughs> you're like, let me check my phone. <laughs> <laughs> that's so beautiful. Mikey really does the same. He's really on it with that. And he even like he'll calculate things where I'm not even. He was like, maybe it's ovulation time. I'm like, how the fuck do <laughs> maybe you know it's this your stuff? Plant. <laughs> <laughs> you fucking nerd. Yeah. <laughs> Bless. Beautiful. This is horrible though. Like when men are being nice, I'm like, what's wrong with you? Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. Love you, Seb. You don't listen to this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do we ask them? We asked a connection to yourself, but so, um, 
another question we have is what do you perceive as the biggest challenges to being a parent right now? And I guess that's also kind of within cultivating your intimate romantic relationship. How do you kind of balance that with the role of parenting? Hmm. Uh, you know, parenting, it's, you know, it's, as I said, the first, the first three kids was, uh, we would, we would divorce. Like I said, we had, I had three between ages of uh, 18 and 23, but then we divorced shortly after the, uh, uh, our third son. But, uh, so with Grace and I, I saw them, I moved to Europe, uh, probably, you know, maybe a few years after, and I would see them maybe twice a year and call often. But so with Grace and now it's, it's different because the, the first three years, uh, we, we both stay home together, uh, with mm. him. And, uh, we were fortunate enough to be able to, to, you know, to do that and, uh, and spend time with him just to give him some, uh, foundation. Uh, and, uh, we sort of, we were together like seven years before he was actually, we, we, uh, we decided to, uh, to, you know, to try and have kids and, uh, or at least one. And, uh, so, so with Grayson is this, I, I try and take, make time for him. And what I don't do is I don't, I've never spoken to him like a child. I always spoken to him like a, as if he was an adult. And, uh, mm-hmm. as a result, I think it, 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 it allows him to ask questions and to, uh, uh, I, I don't put, uh, limitations on him that were put on me as, as, as a child. I don't say he's not going to like this because I don't know what he likes. Uh, hmm. uh, uh, you can, if he wants to wear his boots outside when it's not rain, his rubber rain boots, when it's not raining and it's like 70 degrees or whatever, I allow him to do that. And I allow him to come home and say, maybe it was too hot to wear his boots. I love doing that. He and I are like butt heads all the time, but you know, uh, being that the fact that we were with him for three years, his mother's of Spanish, her parents were uh, Puerto Rican and, and Cuban. So they were raised in the Spanish that speaking household. And, uh, and, uh, I lived in France for a while. We both decided that we were going to speak to him in uh, only Spanish, his mother, and I only spoke to him in French. Wow. Yeah, and then he learned English in the playground and listening to his mother and I speak. So wow. As a result, now living here in Portugal, he speaks four languages. Gosh, at seven. Oh my God. I'm still at like 1.25 <laughs> after living in France for seven years. That's so sad. What an awesome kid. Yeah. So, uh, Love you. Well done. Absolutely amazing. Right. We're going to go on to the lightning round. So there's rules around the lightning round. You can't think about this question too much. You have to just spontaneously answer. Okay. Okay. Go. Deal. What makes your heart sing? My so kid. Your kid. Oh. Uh, what turns you on sexually or spiritually or both? Ooh, in, uh, affection, uh, touch, and uh, uh, romance. Fuck it. That's it. Yay. <laughs> What's inspiring you right now? Uh, you know, my friends, family. 
uh, and you included, and you're the new one, Louisa. So, and, and I really, um, honestly, I mean, you know, and uh, and actually, you know, my my projects. Hmm. Amazing. It sounds like you're doing some awesome, awesome work. Um, what is the last great book you read? Uh, last great book. Hmm. Well, the last book I read or that I'm start reading is it's, it's called the, the ultimate blueprint to an insanely successful business. And it's Oof. by Keith Cunningham. I know it's a long title, but is it uh, true? I'm sorry. Is it true? Is it actually the ultimate <laughs> blueprint yeah, to an the ultimate blueprint to an insanely successful business? That's a, that's that's the actual title of it, which is ah, it's crazy. By Keith Cunningham. So I mean, I I really like that. I I'm not a really novel person, so I I, I generally, if I read anything, it would be mostly uh, I guess it's something that would actually help me or uh, autobiographies that I, I totally like. Cute. And what do you love more than anything in the world? Mm, my family. Yeah. Well, Chris, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. Is there any um like uh, anything that you want to plug or any social media that we can find you on if, if you want to be found? Um, yeah, you can find me on my personal social media is uh, I think it's oh God, I don't even know. I think it's C Fitz Miller. Or uh, on Instagram. I'm looking right now. <laughs> okay. All right. I was lurking on the in, in the interweb. Yeah. I'm here to lurk. Yeah. See. And what's the other one? And uh, the other one is, I guess, it's Facebook. I don't. You know what? I know it sounds so fucked up. I don't really remember what this actual. Uh, <laughs> what about Covered Hell? It's like remember your social media. <laughs> I know. <laughs> 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 and say it on the podcast. <laughs> okay. Well, it's C. It's CFM Fits for Instagram. Nice. Wow. Yeah. Facebook. And, and covered health, right? Is um. Yeah. Covered health. Covered. Uh, covered health and well-being. You can find that on Instagram as well, or covered.io. And this is uh, Portugal only. Or are you guys planning on going international? Well, actually, we uh, I got I've, we received some interest in uh, in India, Dubai, and uh, Turkey. So, Very exciting! Yes, beautiful. Yeah. Whoop whoop! Well, congratulations on the global takeover. Oh. And, uh, we adore you. Thank you so much for being on Sober Sex. It was such a pleasure. Yeah.